Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Brent Kemnitz from Mobage, South Dakota. We've had Brent on before. Brent's a fishing guide uh, down on Lake Oahe, and we're talking fall walleyes on Lake Oahe. We've had this conversation before in some way, shape, or form, uh, but here's the deal. Lake Oahe is putting out some of the biggest walleyes in North America. This is an unbelievable resource, and who knows how long it'll last, but it, the future is bright. And Lake Oahe is a very fertile uh, water body, and that's what we're going to learn about even more. We're going to look at the history in this interview. Brent does a great job looking back um, at, you know, at what the, the factors are that have really made this body of water. And Brent, uh, being a guide on the water so much, he's just really a, a great individual to really talk about how things are going right now and how to catch them, how to find and catch them, and, and why we should all be thinking about fall walleyes as a destination on Lake Oahe uh, here in the Midwest and uh, some of the biggest walleyes across walleye country are coming out of Lake Oahe right here easy driving distance from so many places and uh, it's something that goes pretty late in the fall we're talking October and November time frame and and depending upon the weather there's you know this is a part of the Midwest where it might not freeze over in December so um, you know this bite goes late where most of us are all shacked up most of us are have put our boats away and winterized you know uh, if you have the ability to hold off and plan a trip uh, down to Oahe it, the time is now um, or just give Brent a call and book him for a guide trip if he's available or somebody else I mean it's just uh, yeah just a, just really want to highlight the destination and the water body and uh, you know nobody could do it better than somebody like Brent that's been guiding out there relentlessly for you know the better part of a couple of decades so Let's do it. We're talking fall walleyes, fall trophy walleyes on Lake Oahe with Brent Kemnitz. Let's do it. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 from Brew City. The CT360 is a low-profile, heavy-duty pole mounting system made specifically for forward-facing sonar. The usability, the ease of installation, the CT360 can be installed on a rail, on a track system, it can be fastened right to the gunnel, and the durability made out of nothing but high-quality materials is what sets the CT360 apart for Brew City. For more information, head to BrewCityTMS.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate, with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done reach out to jamie rizavi from rizavi taxidermy studio in new rockford north dakota jamie and his crew do next level work here at the jmo headquarters we are blessed to have so many replicas made by jamie reach out you can find them on social media or online at rizavi taxidermy studio.com the link is in the description of this podcast if you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. 
For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. Brent Kemnitz, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I didn't even go back and look at the last time I had you on. We, you've been on, I don't know how many times, three, four times in the last couple of years. I know we've talked fall walleyes with you before, talking uh, down on Oahe. Honestly, I just want to do it again. We haven't talked fall walleyes on Oahe, uh, uh, you know, nearly enough. And um, and so I just want to have you back on. It's that time of year, um, you know, September. So we're looking ahead at this at this fall season that's on our horizon and it's a hot topic of conversation um you know the fall walleyes on Oahe so that's it that's literally all my notes I've laid everything out on the table let's see if we can knock out as many cool topics relating to to that bite man so you know starting with what how many years have you been guiding down there yeah so I uh actually grew up in Mulbridge so I was born and raised here uh, grew up fishing pretty much all my life, uh, moved away down to Pierce, South Dakota for 10 years and still continue to fish and stuff down there. We moved back here in 2006 and purchased the Mole Rest Motel. And then in 2008, we purchased the uh, Mole Pro Guide Service. So I have actually been guiding full time for about 15 years. And I did some part-time stuff with my father-in-law, Denny Palmer, who was, you know, he, he was kind of one of the pioneers of guiding up in the Mulbridge area. So, yeah, so I've got some history on on Lake Oahe. Yeah, man. And tell me a little bit about that, because I, I, I like maybe, you know, maybe we kind of stick to that sort of the looking back on Oahe, you know, because we're going to, I want to talk about and break down you know, the, these fall bites as they are currently the conditions of the reservoir nowadays. But looking back, I love, I think that there's so much texture to that conversation of like the things that have been happening on Oahe and, and just sort of the building blocks that have gotten Oahe to where it is today because it's it's unbelievable the top end quality of fish that are swimming in that body of water. Yeah, so true, Taylor. The thing is, is these big fish have, you know, they've put, upper lake oahe on the map and and lower lake oahe also i mean the this caliber of fish that has been coming out in the last you know six to seven years is just it's it's mind-boggling i mean we're right in there with like fort peck and stuff like that for for that caliber of fish so um but yeah i i, I agree with you the the history of of lake oahe here in the last 20 years has played a big role in in why we're producing these big fish all of a sudden in the last five to, to eight years and you know it started out these infamous floods like in 2000 or i'm sorry 1996 and then again in 2011 and then one that doesn't probably get talked as much about is is the flood in 2018 where we had real big snow events all three years um reservoir filled way up to flood stages they just poured the water through the dam system and lake oahe is set up so that um our intakes are right at that middle section of the of the reservoir where where that cool water is going through and because of that all of our our forage which was the rainbow smelt at the time 
was being entrained through those through that dam system. But we lost a large, large portion of our uh, of, of our forage. So that being said, in the meantime, we we have had Lake Herring or Cisco's in our system since you know mid 1980s. But with the uh, Rainbow Schmelt, it's they've never really taken over and had a lot of success in the system until these Rainbow Schmelt have gone away. And now all of a sudden, the Cisco and, and uh, Lake Herring have kind of taken over, and they are the prime reason why our fish are growing like crazy. So, um, yeah, so anyway, they've, uh, I would say the, the Lake Herring, you know, they're such a high protein forage, and uh, yeah, they're, they're going to, these fish are growing from 18 to 27 to 30 inches in, in just a short time just because of them. Yeah, it's like that's the real boom for a walleye. If a, if a walleye, you know, can get it to that 18, 19 inches, and that's that that's totally in alignment with, like, you know, referencing, like, Fort Peck and, you know, the top-end fish on Sakakawea, there's a lot of big fish there too, right? You know, that's the same system. It's like... There's mm-hmm. sort of, you know, there's sort of some parallels there, you know, I mean, just it's all relative and, and uh, there's, you know, the fine details are a little different, but, you know, with that type of forage base that's out there, when those walleyes figure out that they're there and how, and, and how good they are, it's like once they hit that 18, 19 inch mark, um, it's, it's like cruise control. It's like, it's like just putting, you know, just, just having the gas pedal down. Talk to me about the fall bite the last 15 years for you and just, you know, just thinking back to the stories of like when you when this fall bite really, you know, was a thing for you with these big fish and how you've been targeting them for the last 15 years and how that has sort of evolved, you know, and how you've evolved in that time. Yeah, so, you know, I would say the first few years of guiding for me, I mean, we would get a few clients uh, in the fall time that would, you know, tap on that fall bite. And a lot of guys that were here pheasant hunting would want to fish and stuff like that. But, you know, we'd probably get anywhere from 15 to 20 days of guiding in from October 1st through through November. And, you know, those fish, you caught a lot of, you know, those 18 to 25 inch fish. But just in the last, I would say 2017 is kind of the first year that I can remember that these just giants have, have showed up in our reservoir, you know, and then also, you know, like the development of, or, or maybe not the development so much because they've been around a lot longer than that, but like the glide baits, the jigging wraps, uh, Johnny darter, stuff like that. Um, I think people finally figured out those weren't just an ice fishing bait anymore. And um, they they started producing some just really, really, really quality walleyes in the fall time and even late summer. But I would say that was kind of the, the, the turnaround point is once we started using, you know, like those glide baits, uh, big jigging spoons, stuff like that. Um, that's, that's kind of the turnaround point of it. And plus, I think that's when those fish, we started seeing those, those big girls that had been, on that lake herring for the last few years and of course like you said earlier too you know the development of electronics throughout the year years you know we didn't have the down scan side scan before that and then all of a sudden now we can see into the tops of the trees um and 
see that these fish are, exist out there. We can also see them out in, you know, that 30 to 50 foot of water, which, you know, that's kind of the area where these big fish survive throughout the year and live. Um, yeah, so now here, just in the last three to five years, we've seen forward-facing sonar, which has totally, totally changed uh, how we catch these fish. And, and just it's, it's just made it so much um, easier for, for an angler to tap on that resource. On Oahe, what are some of the, the memories and or sort of stories that you would have like year to year where the conditions that are sometimes different and some of those variables that you got to figure out when you're th- talking about fall walleyes? The last few years since with these lake herring have been a big player in our in our fishing, um, we've had high water during those times. With the exception of last year, we were, we were a little bit lower, you know, we're probably oh 20 foot lower than what we typically are um in the fall time so it did change things a little bit but they were still kind of in the general locations that we were catching them even during the high water they had just slid off onto that next that next level down um i can remember you know like in early 2000s we were we were doing a lot of you know we had like gizzard chat in the system the game and fish had it put some gizzard chat in the system and, and we were doing a lot of pitching and stuff like that uh, and catching these, these better fish shallow. And that's, that's changed a lot in the last few years. It seems like you basically got to start in like that 25 to 30 and go deeper from there. Uh, these, these fish um, have keyed on, like I said, those Cisco's and that's where those Cisco's live and actually during the summer months they're even out into that 50 to 90 foot uh mark and that's where the fish are at also um so yeah it uh it varies from year to year but i think you know we do a lot of we concentrate a lot on miles of tributaries around here which molders is kind of noted for that we've got uh we're right on the back door of the uh, grand river and the moral river is within 10 miles of us so um we've got two really awesome uh, tributaries that come into the system that kind of play to our advantage when it comes to these big fish in the fall time so let's let's talk about you know we're we're talking about you know you know the big picture and 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 the recent history you know let's kind of move into what are you experiencing right now how has this season gone let's just look back at this year so far things that you can remember what is sort of the storyline uh of this year well i'll i'll start out a little bit sooner i'll go back two to three years and 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 Oahu was kind of in a lull in a slump the last couple of years as far as like catching those nicer quality fish those 15 to 18 inch fish that uh, as me as a guy that's that's what we like to see for our clients um we just had any just a huge number of those 12 to 13 13 and a half inch fish fish in our system and um uh, it was just, it was really tough to go out, especially once you were past the month of June. It seemed like um, once the quality fish, those 17 to 19 inch fish, once that bug hatch, like the, the mayfly larvae and stuff like that were done, those fish dipped out into that 
you know, 30 to 60 foot of water and found those lake herring and, and they just followed them to the south end of the reservoir. And so it kind of made guiding kind of a grinder on a daily basis once you hit that July and August and September uh, time of the year. This year, I don't, you know, I, I do know what's happened. I mean, we, we've come up 14 foot from last year. Um, we had some vegetation that had grown up along the shorelines the last two years. And we just had a prolific spawn of, of warm water prey fish like white bass, uh, sheephead. Um, so we're seeing tons of little perch in our fish. And then our game and fish has, has also supplemented our forage by stocking some adult gizzard shad in hopes that they would keep some of that warm water prey fish up in our area and keep some of our, some of our walleyes up in the area. And it, it's worked. I mean, it's, we've had, I would say this is probably the best bite throughout from the second week of May right up till now. I would say that we've had in 10 years, it's just been, Hawaii has been on fire up in this northern part of the, of the reservoir. So it's been a, it's been a fun year to guide. It, it's been really, really good. So what were some of your successes? I mean, as far as, you know, just on the, on the average day, what was it like in terms of best presentations that you feel like produced, uh, you know, this summer? And, um, you know, what was kind of the recipe for success and, and what was, you know, you know, what did the numbers look like? So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of a typical year as far as the patterns of the fish when we had the, the mayfly hatch and stuff like that back in May. I mean, we were catching those fish, you know, a lot of times we were pitching jigs at them and jigs and minnows or jigs and plastics. And a lot of those fish were in a foot to three foot of water. Which is, I mean, when you got clients that know how to do that, I mean, that that's a blast. Not only for me, but it's for them too. I mean, they have a lot of fun doing that. Um, and it just seemed like our 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 uh, fish stayed shallow all the way through June. I mean, we weren't fishing over twelve foot uh, right at the end of June. It was just incredible how those fish hung in there. Like I said, they had food in front of them, so they they didn't have to boogie out into that thirty to sixty foot of water um to chase after forage so they stayed shallow uh, of course usually that june pattern we're usually running bottom bouncers with um just you know a single bead and a crawler real simple stuff and then you know later in the year once that water temp bumped up around you know that 70 degree mark then we start moving a little faster and maybe dump out into that 20 to 25 foot um and pulling bouncers and uh, smile blades or little propellers of some sort in a crawler or Berkeley gulp or something like that. But, um, you know, and then we're running one, two up all the way up to one eight a lot of times. So yeah, it just seems like as the year progresses, those fish, they, their metabolism ramps up and they're willing to chase. And, and we, we definitely amp ramp up the speed as, as the summer goes. And now, now the fall's coming and, things will start cooling down again. We'll start tapering off the speed a little bit and then we'll move right back into that whole jig and minnow bite in the fall time or do a lot of uh, jig and wraps or glide baits. And the other thing that's kind of a lot of people don't talk about on Oahe, but it's been a fabulous bite on Oahe is, is just running spoons. Spoons have been an incredible bait the last few years. So yeah. 
this episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 made by Brew City. The CT360 is a heavy-duty, low-profile, very versatile pole mounting system made specifically for operating forward-facing sonar. This is a very durable product made out of high-quality materials, very versatile and easy to use, as well as easy to install. It can be incorporated onto a rail system or a track or just attached directly to the gunnel if you know exactly where you want it to be. For more information on Brew City's CT360 pole mounting system, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That is BrewCityTMS.com. If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizavi from Rizavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs. With over 30 locations across the United States, every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. You know, I just, I, I like building that picture and, and, and what it's like because we know about, we know reservoir fish move. They they just move around, you know, like mm-hmm. the exact waypoint that worked from yesterday, you know, it could be a ghost town, you know, that afternoon or, or definitely the next day at times. What did you see in terms of, you know, the bigger fish movements like, you know, uh, the areas where you started the season and started having some of that success when those summer patterns hit, um, it, it did did everything localize? Did you stay in the same areas all year long? Were there some bigger movements that you observed? Like, what was the big, you know, the big picture, the fish movement? Like, what was that like this year? So I would say that um, this year, and that's why that's why I say it's probably been the best bite we've had in the last ten years. This year, the fish stayed local. I mean, it, we had bait that started showing up in that uh, late May, first part of June. You'd see balls of bait on the graph. I mean, and, and and the fish stuck around because of it. Now, some of the bigger fish, you know, they're they're wanting bigger meals, and so we started. I would say those those fish that were eighteen to twenty plus inch fish, those fish started to move south again on us. Probably late June this year, which was a little later than what we've seen in the past, but 
man, we're still catching a lot of just really nice 15 to 19 inch limits of fish every day we go out. It's just been, like I said, and, and then they're in the same areas. It seems like uh, north of town here has just been fabulous all the way up to the state line. It's just been producing the entire time and they just haven't quit up there. So, yeah, but like, like you said, I mean, the big fish have definitely pulled out that late June and then they've, they've definitely slid south and then they're of course tapping on that, uh, that lake carrying resource that we have in Lake Oahe. So, yeah. Right on. So then getting into fall, you know, let's start talking about, you know, conditions today and even a little forecasting and what you're sort of expecting after the year that you've had this year. Like, when do you think you're going to start to see the fall transition? What are the things that you're going to lo- be looking for, uh, you know, as far as the indicators, the fish movements, the water temperatures, some of the, you know, just the weather patterns, the environmental conditions to let you know that it's happening? Yeah, so, I mean, we start seeing um, some of those better fish start showing up in our area when that water starts hitting around that oh, 50 to 55 degree mark. Um, but the, the big, big push typically does not really happen until until uh, that water mark hits 45 degrees. When, it, when our water temp hits 45 degrees, it is on. So that's kind of the big key um, when we see the fall, fall movement is once that 45 degree mark hits. And the other thing too, that's kind of a key component of the whole thing is the, uh, the lake herring in the system, they're, they're a winter spawner. So they slide out of that, that 60 to 80 foot and they're moving up to spawn in that fall time. And so that's why that 45 degree mark is kind of the key mark. Those, those lake herring are up there spawning and those walleyes are right in with them. And that's what, that's, what makes them accessible to anglers. I mean, most, most anglers are not going to go out and pursue fish out in that 60 to 80 foot of water. It just doesn't work. And especially as a guide, I mean, it just doesn't work that great. So yeah, once we get up in that, you know, that 25 to 30 foot range, that's when they're accessible to the anglers. And, and that's, that's when we do our damage on them. Definitely. So are the spots pretty predictable or you know, how do, how do you break it down? You know, are, are you going out looking on the electronics? Are you looking for the bait? Are you looking for the fish themselves? Like, like uh, you know, when you start seeing the evidence, when you start to see the water temps, I mean, you can start to predict some of this stuff. Um, you know, we understand that much about the biology of the fish and what's going to be happening. But, but to actually catch them, you got to be over the top of fish. Like, how do you start that process every day? Yeah, I, I would say me personally, you know, I start looking at uh, his, historically spots that I've done really good on in the fall time. And like I said early in our conversation, you know, a lot of that starts around those tributaries, around the Grand River, the mouth of the Grand River, around the mouth of the Moro River. That's where we typically start seeing a lot of that that forage start pushing up is right at the mouths of those. and. You know the the walleyes too. They're they're kind of making their push up here to to do their spawn come springtime. So um, those tributaries are just natural places for those walleyes, and it's that's that's where I start. And if there's bait in the area, 
typically the fish are not far behind or right in there. So do you feel like you're fishing spots more, more or less? Do you feel like when you break it down, it becomes spots and you have a milk run with spots or are you fishing areas and how, how would you really describe that? I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, kind of have a milk run of spots. Um, I will deviate from that. If, if the things are not working, I will deviate. But I am definitely a creature of habit. It seems like those fish are creatures of habit as well. And, and they, they typically show up in those spots year after year after year. Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, I definitely will deviate. There's There's times where, you know, I'll run the graph or an hour or something which you look at your clients and they're looking at you like does this guy know what he's doing but you know i'm not going to go and go and fish an area that doesn't have bait or fish in it so um it's just one of those deals you got to trust your electronics so if if they're not in those traditional spots start looking looking in spots that that are similar to those traditional spots um I personally, I like to see places where like the main river channel butts up against uh, these tributary points or flats or something like that. But they like that steep contour stuff in the fall time with a flat up on top. And it just, I think it makes it real easy for those fish to ambush their bait. And, and it's, let's face it, the, the river channel is a highway for, for both bait and fish. So that's where I kind of start. And then, like I said, I just deviate from there. So Yeah, and you kind of already answered this, but I kind of want to keep going down the route of just like thought process and breaking it down. Because like you say, you're a creature of habit. You've got a lot of experience out there, so you have your waypoints. But you didn't always. Let's take, take the angle of like, you know, if you could think back when you were building up that red, that you know, that milk run of spots and you were breaking it down before you had all those waypoints out there. Or if we could just speak to the person that, you know, is sort of in that part of their development on that body of water. Like when you're going out there and you're breaking it down, looking for new spots to create a new waypoint, to create a new spot for your milk run, you know, putting it all together. What are the electronics that you're utilizing? How much time are you comfortable you know spending when you're when you're driving around even if you don't have clients in the boat you know or especially maybe when you don't have clients in the boat how are you operating at that time or how would you recommend somebody operate at that time to really break it down and 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 uh you know just sort of some direction on along those lines yeah i think honestly that's a super important uh, point that you just made there i mean trusting your electronics is is like key to the whole thing and you know i spent a lot of years where you know you'd probably struggle in the fall time on certain days if you if you went to uh the spot where you caught them the day before and and they're just not and then then what you just continue to sit there and fish that spot um those days are over because of the advancement of of um the electronics i mean side scan down forward facing you know almost instantly whether there's fish on a spot or not. And there, move on. And like you said, if I don't have clients in the boat, I mean, I'll, there's there's days I'll spend two, three hours just driving around, just kind of trying to figure out 
um, these areas that uh, that are holding the fish. And especially if they're not in the spots, you know, like I said, that were kind of my milk run spots in the past. Um, that's that's the time I'll take um, on my own and just just go and look for them, just to try to make it successful for for my next group of clients. So, um, but yeah, again, like I said, I think one of the main things I do to break things down is I, I really concentrate on where channel edges b- bump up against shorelines and um, these fish, like I said, in the fall time, they seem like they'd like steep um, transitions uh, where they can ambush the bait. And, and there's lots of places that they can do that. So it's not just one spot that they're going to be every day, you know, but, but, like I said earlier, if you look for a similar spot in a different part of the reservoir, they're probably most likely going to be on one of those spots. Right on, right on. Because that's kind of what I was thinking is like, you know, even just describing or almost like telling a story about, you know, a success story of, you know, we all, we all know, well, I'll put it this way. We all know what it's like to fail. We all know what it's like to go out and they weren't where they were yesterday and we never do find them. But totally for you, when you do go out there, like if you if you could work backwards in that exact scenario scenario where you know you you're on them, you're on them for a couple of days with clients. It's the glide bait deal. It, you, your milk run of spots is producing, um, but then inevitably, you know, you know, day three, day four, maybe there's a weather change, a wind switch, or whatever it is. And uh, uh, or nothing, the fish just decide to move. When you do find them again, is it is it just you know f- using that exact same pattern, or do you feel like those you have sort of some experience that gives you a gut feeling as to where those specific fish will move off a spot? Do they sit up on top on the flat? Do they just move up or down? I mean, what does your gut tell you? Some of those fish do when they do leave. Yeah, I would say um, probably the opposite, Taylor. I think a lot of times if you're dealing with cold front fish, they're not necessarily usually are not going to move up on top because those, those that's going to signify an active feeding fish. Um, so I would say quite the opposite. They're probably going to slide a little different direction out deeper probably. And you're probably going to have to change tactics, something that's not quite as aggressive as like the glide baits. Um, and, and a lot of times that's when I switch to smaller spoons and go into um, ice fishing mode. That's, that's kind of what I do in the fall time. If, uh, and a lot of times I'll have, I'll have my clients, I'll, I'll do just a small jigging spoon, something like a, a buckshot rattle jig or something like that. And I'll tip it with either a full minnow or just a, just a minnow head, just depending on how off these fish are. And then um, I'll, tell, I'll tell my clients a lot of times, just stick the rod in the rod holder. And then I'll just start creeping along with the boat 0.1, 0.2 miles per hour, just really slowing that presentation down. It's amazing how, you know, how lethargic these fish can get during a weather weather phase that's affected them. So, yeah, that's kind of the techniques I do. Um, and it seems like it produces. So, yeah, man, I like it. I like all the information we're talking about breaking it down, but, but, you know, building the picture with the history and your personal, you know, sort of observations through your career, uh, guiding 
on that body of water for that specific bite, you know, over the years, I think that's such good information. And it definitely, it definitely sets up, um, you know, it sort of sets the stage for the conditions that are happening right now, you know, and, and, and looking back on this particular season, you know, having a, having a good expectation of, uh, you know, when it's going to happen, watching the temperature gauge, looking at the forecast, um, knowing that, uh, you know, we're having this conversation right now in September, we're definitely ahead of the game and that's perfect. If anybody was, is even thinking about winding down their open water season, but they're, they're not sure they're, they're, they're just feeling a little conflicted about winterizing their boat just yet. You know what? There's there's probably a reason for that. That that is just the you know that that's the universe telling you not to winterize your boat. <laughs> stay yeah. stay ready, and uh, and book a trip uh, to Mobridge and, and check out this fall Oahe bite. I know it's definitely a bucket list thing for me. And you know you referenced something at the very beginning when we were talking. You know introducing the topic of fall big walleyes on Oahe, um, that, you know, the caliber of fish is stands up uh, to anybody in the country. You know, I think, I I think that is so, it can't be overstated. And, and, And I think that it's hard for a lot of folks that are maybe, you know, destination anglers from anywhere in the Midwest. And, you know, maybe they see these big tournament weights that are over on the Great Lakes, or they see these big tournament weights, say in North Dakota or, or some of these, you know, but South Dakota, the, the tournaments that happen on Oahe with the slot that a South Dakota has, some of these big, big tournaments that come to South Dakota, that come to Lake Oahe are being won, or some of the biggest most money is being cashed with the two overs that you can have no two ways about it. i mean you said a mouthful there that's just it's unbelievable I mean, I, it, it is unbelievable i mean i can think of one tournament in particular the south dakota walleye classic this summer where the guy that won it i mean he had four fish that were over 60 pounds that's insane for four fish i mean that, that doesn't um, sound real that sounds like a cartoon it sounds like it's made up. Yeah. So, and, you know, the thing is, is you see these big weights over on the Great Lake and, and, and maybe up at Devil's Lake. They're um, tournaments that don't have a slot in place. We take our slot off here. You would see probably weights on five fish that would be probably 50, 60, 50 to 60 pounds, if not yeah. more than that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, look at, look at what is going on over, like on, like you said, on Fort Peck, I I think it's a reasonable, I mean, because there's no perfect apples to apples match with anything when we're talking Mm -hmm. about water bodies, but it's a reasonable comparison. Fort Peck, Montana does not have the slots and a two day tournament over there. There's multiple two day tournaments over there that were, were won with over a hundred pounds. Like the Governor's Cup, I don't even know. I got to go back and look at it, but I think like, yeah, like ninety nine pounds after two days, ten fish, you know, was like yep. was like sixth or something like that, yeah, like or yeah. whatever, and, you know, like that's what Oahe would be potentially totally. bigger because there's totally. more teeners, there's more teeners coming out of Oahe. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, this is a special, special resource, a special fishing opportunity. And if you were going to have an op, if you were going to have a choice time of year pattern, 
to target these fish, it's this fall bite when they're in the 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 optimal depth range. They're feeding. Yep. They're big. They're 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 as big as they'll be until they have you know eggs in the spring. And we see them. You know, we see them up in North Dakota when they come all the way up there. I mean, the, the we're talking about some of the biggest, fastest growing walleyes in the whole country. And right. um, just an absolutely special, special thing to even be talking about. But I, I like referencing that tournament weight thing because I think some people, you know, get it when you say it that way. That right, four fish, sixty pounds for the right. You know, I mean, like, like. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> it's just, insane. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, I can remember. I can remember when I first started guiding. You know, thinking, man, if I got if I caught a ten pound walleye. That was my, that was my bar. And now, honestly, I've become so spoiled with these big fish. I mean, every fall we're putting anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40 of these big mamas in the boat with clients every year. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, you don't, you kind of get used to that 10 pound fish, which I mean, that's to me, kind of on the same level as shooting like a 180 whitetail, 180 to 200 class whitetail to catch a 10 pound walleye. I bet there's a very, very small percentage of the population that's ever caught a walleye over 10 pounds. Yeah. Legitimate. And we do 20 to 40 of them a year. I mean, and like last fall, I had my personal best was 14 pounds, six ounces. I never in my life dreamed I'd catch a walleye that big. Yeah. So, and it's happening yeah, just, right here in the Midwest. You don't have to go to the Columbia river, you know? Right. Um, it, it, I mean, yeah, like it's, and you don't have to be there, you know, in the spring on the great lakes, um, you know, uh, trying to get them before they spawn kind of a thing i mean this is this is an opportunity that is it's in the fall it's ripe for the picking uh very low uh um you know in comparison to other opportunities to catch fish of this caliber in the midwest there's very few and most of them it's highly competitive talking about the spring fishing when everybody's chomping at the bit this is fall fishing not as much participation man you gotta you gotta you you just gotta want it and you gotta go after it that (laughs) those are my big points and i love i love having this conversation you know and it doesn't even if it doesn't sound complicated it's because it's really kind of not you just got to go do it brent thank you so much for the time you got for the conversation yeah man let's wrap this up tell everybody where they can get a hold of you if they have questions beyond this or if they want to inquire about your guide service any of that stuff go ahead yeah, absolutely. So feel free to call us right at our, we, my wife and I own the Morris Motel. You can call us right at the motel here, uh, 605-845-3668. Or you can uh, look us up online. Our, we've got a website. It's Um And I'm also on Facebook. If you want to reach out to me through Facebook Messenger, that's that's perfectly fine. I'm not a huge social media guy, so I don't post a lot of pictures and stuff like that. But I, I typically will see a, a message on Facebook Messenger and will respond 100%. So there it is, man. I appreciate the time, Brent. Thanks again, Taylor. Bye. All right, we'll talk to you.